It's June 15th. We're reading through the Bible. We've reached the end of the book of Ezra. Remember, this is the post-exilic period, and this is after the 70-year exile into Babylon, and we're also in Acts, Acts chapter 1, so beginning of a brand new book in the New Testament. Our Old Testament reading, we're in chapters 9 and 10, and these are troublesome as we read them because uh, we really struggle with the fact that in chapters 9 and 10, uh, the repentance of the people resulted in the divorce of these Jewish men from their non-Jewish wives and the separation from their children. And we think, man, this just seems crazy. Uh, But remember uh, that we have in the promise of the Davidic covenant, not only that, in the end of the book of Genesis about the coming scepter and the king coming through Judah, the promise of the king coming through David's lineage, that uh, it was very important that the Israelites in the Old Testament, in particular those from Judah in this exile, come back to the land and they don't just assimilate as had happened with the 10 northern tribes for the most part. Uh, there was a great assimilation of the people with the Assyrians. And now the Babylon, the Babylonians, when they took them captivity, uh, they were tempted to just simply intermarry with these foreigners and forget the covenants that God made to them. So there's nothing to do with the ethnicities. Uh, certainly all of that is a, a separation in the Old Testament for the sake of the Davidic or the uh, Mosaic covenant in the book of Leviticus and about the promise of them being the means through which the nation of Israel, that the world would be blessed as the Davidic covenant uh, had made clear and the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis had made clear. So this divorce that was called for, this separation from these uh, non-Jewish people uh, was an important part of preserving that line. And so you see Ezra's um, prayer and confession and Shechaniah comes on the scene and calls them to repentance. And it's a hard situation and yet a necessary one here in the post-exilic period. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 10, all of these issues of that ethnic uh, sense of uh, purity, if you will, to have them come to the fruition of the messianic um, fulfillment, all of that was set aside and no longer were we to call one group of uh, Uh, people outside the line of Abraham unclean when God had called them clean. And so all that had to do with the dietary restrictions is the symbol of that separation. And so we learn a lot about God's uh, work of the church here in the book of Acts. And speaking of the book of Acts, we start it today. Remember, this is part two of Luke's writings. He's writing specifically to Theophilus, which if you remember way back when we started Luke, as I taught through it, uh, we're not sure if this is a person, uh, a benefactor underwrites this project, or whether it's just a code word, if you will, for the one who loves God. That's what Theophilus means, a lover of God. Nevertheless, that's not the important part. What's important is God using him to write this information. In chapter one, we had the promise of the coming spirit. We had the ascension of Christ back to the right hand of the Father after his earthly work was done, seated as the priests never did about their work when they were in the Old Testament tabernacle or temple. But now Jesus is done with his work. He sacrificed himself. He goes back to the Father and he promises the spirit would come upon them. We have 11 apostles. Judas is defected and so they're going to choose a 12th. And that's debated. We talked about that not long ago when we started the book of uh, Acts in Acts chapter 1, talking about the the casting of lots and what that was all about might be a good sermon uh, worth reviewing. Nevertheless, they picked that 12th apostle because they needed someone who was a Uh, who was with Christ during his earthly ministry, was uh, able to testify to him in a bodily resurrected form that they saw his resurrected um, 
life after death, and uh, that is why they chose Matthias in this passage. Our community imperative today is found in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verses 26 and 27. And as much as we don't like to talk about these kinds of things, in our interactions with other people, people are going to make us angry. And uh, when we get angry, here's a good passage for us to know how to deal with that anger, as it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Uh, and do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So the reminder that Satan is willing to step in and, and exploit our anger, to utilize our anger to prompt all kinds of things that are sinful. Here we're reminded by the Apostle Paul, as he thinks about the church of Ephesus and others that would get this letter, that uh, you need to rightly be angry in some situations because there's injustice, there's things that go wrong. But when that happens, certainly with your brothers and sisters in Christ, make sure that you don't, or with anyone, make sure you don't sin. Make sure you don't do sinful things or say sinful things or respond in sinful ways. And then make sure it doesn't last long. So I put it this way, our community imperative is to get over your anger quickly. We're going to make each other mad in the body of Christ, but get over it quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger because when you let the bitterness reside in your heart, it does nothing but uh, foster the kinds of things that Satan uses to divide us up and to do bad things among us in the church. So that's our community imperative for today. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue through the book of Acts and we get into the great book of Nehemiah and we watch the building of the walls tomorrow. So we'll see you then.